Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. to the Gramlick and McLean podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us. Episode 179. Hard to believe, Mac. We're going to be at 200 before you know it. We got to do it big for 200 like we did for 100. That's right. So uh, stay tuned for that. (laughs) We have a great guest today and we are going to get to him. And basically everything he said is so pertinent to what is going on in college football. But first, make sure you're listening on SiriusXM channel 371. Apple Podcast, get on there, subscribe, rate, leave us a review. We would love to hear your review. In fact, whoever leaves us a review after this episode, we will read it on air, we promise. And uh, check us out on YouTube. YouTube's blowing up. We're super excited. Thank you for the support on YouTube. And let's keep it going. Mac, let's get into this first, okay, with realignment, because so much has happened since we last released an episode. Of course, all this went down over July 4th weekend which was also my birthday weekend, where we were both busy, and then we didn't release an episode for July 4th. So this is our first episode since all the craziness and USC and UCLA announcing they're going to the Big Ten, all these other rumors flowing. Mac, what are your overall thoughts right now on realignment and how it affects the ACC? Yeah, well, first of all, I have to give Greg credit. We, we recorded this yeah. like two or three weeks ago, and he called it perfectly. You guys will hear here in a second in the interview when we ask him about all this that's happening, and he says, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you before you get there, the Big Ten is going to go southwest. And we were yeah. like, whoa, that's crazy. That doesn't make any wow, sense. Wow, Greg. Two weeks ago, before crazy, all this man. happened. Before all this happened. And then, of course, it drops, and that's exactly what they do. So mm-hmm. I need to borrow his crystal ball, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I, I just – I don't know. I, I think it is – it's big changes, right? And right now, in this present current climate, as we sit here and talk about it, It's huge news, and it's things that we think at the moment are seismic and going to make all these different changes, and college football is never going to be the same. But guess what? Stuff like this has happened before, and people thought Mm -hmm. that same thing. At the end of the day, it got us to a better product. And think way, way back when, um, you know, of of all these different changes, new conferences being created out of nowhere, and and even as recently – you know, as, as the ACC, adding a Louisville, adding a Syracuse, all these different things that at the time were, woo, big deals, huge, massive things that now it's just like, yeah, it just happened. So I think these are a little bit bigger than that because of the span that they're going to reach geographically. But at the end of the day, KG, it's just college football. It's always going to be college football. It's always going to be, you know, the best sport in the world. It just might look a little bit different. So what I am interested to see and what I am interested uh, to, to really follow closely is kind of the aftermath of these ripples. And, and what does that mean? And, and what do conferences like the ACC, what, what's your response? Because I think if you, if you stay still and if you wait and see, I don't think that's a good idea. I think conservativeship, conser- being conservative means death. I, I truly do. I yeah. think that you have to be proactive. What does that mean? Does that mean adding people? Does that mean trying to restructure deals to where maybe you know your big players get more a piece of a pie. Whatever that looks like, whatever is enticing, you know, to number one, keep your house in order, you've got to do. But then number two, who can you go and get? And for the ACC, it's gotta still be Notre Dame. That has to be number one. I think what is so funny is that all these people have all these ideas, oh, Notre Dame's going to the Big Ten. That's done. That's set. That's not the case, guys. There are contracts in place. I know you can get out of them, 
But right now, as it's written in law legally, if Notre Dame joins a conference in football, it is the ACC. Nothing has changed. And so with that, I still think that's your number one priority. You have to make that happen. And then you you start elevating and, and maybe add a couple others. I think I'm more concerned than you are. And, and I'll start with this. The biggest reason why the ACC, I think, is, is staying intact, at least as of now, is because this contract goes through 2036. What we have to remember is that the Big 12s went through 24 or 25, I believe. The Pac-12s, 24. You can get out of that. You can pay a tiny buyout. You, you can say we're leaving but not leave till 24. 2036 is a whole different ballgame. <laughs> so it's going to be very, very difficult unless, you know, you can go rip up a contract and deal with lawyers and all that for any of these ACC teams to leave. I am concerned for the fans, first and foremost, because I truly believe college football at its core is a regional sport. And what makes college football so great is that you're playing teams that are right down the road that you work with, that you know maybe your, your family is a fan of that team and you're not, et cetera. So the further we get away from that, I think the more it's going to hurt fans of different schools. I feel for fans of Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, um, even more so when you look at the Big 12, Baylor, Oklahoma State, these are massive fan bases that I think are going to start to lose interest if you don't give these teams something to play for and rivals to play. And then secondly, I am concerned for the trickle-down, Mac, as you're referencing how college football will affect every other sport, how it will affect women's sports, non-revenue sports. In the end, these guys are making decisions. These already rich people, let's be honest, administrators, ADs, are making decisions to make themselves richer. And the trickle-down is going to really negatively affect women's sports and non-revenue sports. And that's what I am super concerned about. So not trying to be super doomsday, but I, I am definitely more concerned because as we get to super leagues, yeah, it's bad for the ACC, sure. But I think it's bad for every other athlete that's not a college football player. And that's a concern for me. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting. And certainly a, a perspective to look at it. You know, if I put on an athletic director perspective and, and lens here, it's like, man, this, this is – this is something that's going to affect everything, you know, not just this yeah. one team. And so certainly that, that is something that, you know, we have to keep an eye on. And, and I think, honestly, KG, where we are as a society, where we are as a, as a you know, community, mm-hmm. we're not going to let women's sports die. We're, we're and Mac, so Mac and I have had calls about this. And Mac <laughs> said that to me and Mac was trying to talk me off the ledge and make me feel better. And I think he's right. I think you're right, Mac. As hope for your daughter. Right. That, that you're right. Let me tell you, Amelia is going to play on TV. All right. That's just oh, going to happen. Yes, That's she is. <laughs> but so, oh, so I, I just, wait. I don't think that, that we will let that happen. I, I think there will be a series so. of, of even fail safes. That's kind of last resort where th- this is going sure. to be taken care of. And I, I think that networks have, have demonstrated that it is important to them to have these and to show these. So I, it, it might be separate deals. It might be, Here's what this is going to be, but I don't think it's going away. So, sure. and ultimately, KG, I think another point that you kind of brought up there was the uh, you know getting out, specifically looking at the ACC, and everybody says, well, Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia, Florida State—they're just they're leaving. Out. Well, let me tell you what happens, as I understand it, is number one, you have to pay a, a certain operating budget times three, uh, which is about north of a hundred million. So that's due within, I think, thirty days of you saying that. So. Sure, that's a big pot of change. And say, well, okay, well, when you join the SEC, you get about $70 million per year. So you can pay that off really quickly. Well, here's the deal. You also forfeit your broadcasting rights. And so I don't know how locked that is. I don't know how tight-knit it is. I, right. But if you're forfeiting your broadcasting rights until 2036, 
That's you insane. will you die can't do that. as an athletic department. That's death. You're dead. And so yeah. all these people that just don't think and just say, yeah, they're out of it. Clemson's gone. It's not going to happen that easy. Now, mm-hmm. there, I think there is a nuke option. I think there is a button that every AD president has that says, we're going to court. We'll challenge that. And if it gets to that right. point, then it'll be really, really interesting to see what does that process look like? How long is that court evaluation and going with lawyers and figuring all this out? And what does it look like? What What is the buyout at the end of the day? Because I think there is a nuclear option. Um, I just don't think anywhere anyone's close to that yet. The, con- the Pac-12 and Big 12 contracts lend to these schools being able to leave. The ACC contract is a completely exactly. different animal. I think that's kind of the main point here. But, Mac, let's get to our guest. Let's tell the people about our guest, and we're going to discuss all Wait, of this Wait, we have a guest him. today. I forgot. I totally forgot. I did not <laughs> forget. This guest was awesome. One of my favorite episodes, uh, to be quite frank. And, and you'll see uh, KG and, and Greg nerd out, and it was a little uncomfortable. I, I mean, I have a couple of degrees behind me, as you guys see here, but they – they took it to an absolute another level. Greg McElroy serves as college football analyst for Saturday games on ABC, ESPN. He was hired way back in 2014. Way back, excuse me, that wasn't that long ago. 2014 as an analyst for SEC Network. Love that story. Was a lot of fun to talk about that. He has local radio show in Birmingham, massive market uh, with, with Cole Kublik, so he has to work with an offensive lineman. I, I sent condolences, KG. I know that you know how difficult that is. And... He's got a brand new podcast, Always College Football. That thing's going to get really interesting. Uh, can't wait mm-hmm. to check that out. First episode just released, so y'all have to y'all have to check that out. He was an Alabama quarterback, as most people know, from 2007 to 2011. He led Bama to the 2010 BCS National Championship, and he is a nerd. We get into this. He was the 2010 ESPN Coastside Academic All-American. Uh, he was a finalist for a Rhodes Scholar. All these things. Just incredible. 24-3 and three as a starting quarterback at Alabama. Has so many thoughts on college football and where it's headed. Let's talk to Greg McElroy. Greg, welcome into the show, my man. We were just talking before we start recording here about that daily grind, that, that radio grind. And I know you get, you do each and every day, but... I've got to say, you, you work with an offensive lineman, Cole Kublik. That's got to be an absolute treat, right? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what kind of mood he's in, because I know how you guys are. If there's one thing that I've learned about offensive linemen is you legitimately don't know what you're going to get that day. Like with quarterbacks, <laughs> our whole mantra is be the same guy every day. Like that's that's a standard quarterback vernacular. Well, offensive line, if you have a bad piece of bacon for breakfast, your day's ruined. Like, it's it's unbelievable, dude. So, uh, yeah, I know how I will put it this way. I know how to deal with him. But he's not the first time I've dealt with an offensive lineman on a daily basis. I used to live with him in college. So uh, I think I was well prepared. It, it's definitely made it a little easier. I love that. That's awesome. I understand the struggle. I work with an offensive lineman every day. Mac is actually, I think Mac has the temperament of a quarterback, though. I don't. I don't see the touch. Hold on, hold on. You gotta explain. In, in you gotta explain really. further. Okay, okay, okay. That's good. That's. Good. I don't see that, but you know, I mean, they have their moments. These alignment. I think Mac because he's doing all this home renovation, he gets the anger out, and then he comes to the show, and he's good. He's good to go. But as we were talking about Greg, I know these summertime uh, radio shows. What, what have been some of the topics, the summertime college football topics that your listeners have been the most interested in? You know, I, I still think that there's a real appetite. And it might not feel this way because so much of our daily news coverage centers around recruiting, NIL, 
Um, topics like that, kind of big picture, what it might look like as we fast forward a couple of years, where is college going, college football going as far as the playoffs concerned. Uh, I think the, the constant speculation is fine and it appeals to a mass audience, but there's still very much an appetite for breaking down the teams and talking about the teams. And there is a massive Matt, I don't know. I don't know what percentage. I don't want to. I don't want to speculate on that. But there is a massive population that loves college football that really just doesn't want to talk about NIL. It doesn't yeah. want to talk about how NIL has impacted the landscape and how this guy's making this and he's spurned this school because they didn't offer him this. It's like that's just get it. It just gets kind of irritating, and, and I think it turns a lot of people off. So we've tried to balance that while still ignoring or just still acknowledging and, and not ignoring the daily conversations about NIL, you have to have those because they're impacting college football daily, but also at the same time, making sure that we make it a point of emphasis to break down teams, rosters, teams, coaching staffs, teams, prospects the coming year. So it's been a little bit of a delicate balance. And I think a little bit of trial and error because it's really the first summer that we've had to deal with this, even though it was happening last summer, but we were so much closer to the season when it started that we're already starting to look ahead. It's just, it's a little bit different now, I think, with with trying to figure out what when to play the hits and how to play the hits. I love when that, man. That's hits. right. Yeah. <laughs> I think when you when you look at it, it is something that where, you know, it, it's so touchy, but also it's like everybody's talking about it. So it's almost this, like you said, that balancing act of, man, how much do I really want to dive into this versus more of the on-the-field stuff? But it's summertime. You've got to figure it out. Has there been an instance, Greg, or maybe just an example of these crazy things that you've heard where you're like, we've got to talk about this on the radio? Yeah, I mean, uh, one in particular, uh, I guess, instance is the one that's happened this week uh, with the young man that decided to go to Miami. Uh, His agent's out there bragging about how he's got nine. He turned down millions from Florida, but Florida's collectives a a disaster and all this other well then Rashada the the young man who's going through the recruiting process has come out and he has to put forth you know a comment like hey well no that's not entirely true it's like dude what are these agents doing man I mean like uh, it doesn't make Florida look good doesn't make Miami look good doesn't make the player look good I mean it's just it's it's a problem and uh, that was one that you just couldn't ignore um obviously the the conversation that's centered around Arch Manning uh, has been a significant one as well. Uh, even though we haven't really ventured down the rabbit hole of NIL involving Arch Manning, because I don't think NIL played a factor in, in his decision to play for Texas. So um, there's been a few that, that have been difficult to look beyond um, with the with the schools you guys cover. What, what Miami is doing right now, and as far as NIL is concerned, has been a pretty hot topic of debate. Uh, the Ruiz guy, uh, who's been very outspoken on social media about what they're paying, who they're paying, how they're paying, how they're structuring, all this other stuff is a little bit unique and a little bit uncomfortable, uh, if I'm going to be completely honest. But um, those have been some of the topics that we've we've definitely had to entertain because there there's an appetite for that when it comes to college football. Okay, speaking of recruiting, I'm sure you've told this story. I'm not super familiar with it, though. You're from Arlington, Texas. I'm also from Texas ended up out here in the Southeast, as did you. How did a kid from Texas end up at Alabama? This is, of course, Alabama wasn't necessarily this version of Alabama, it's still Alabama. But how did you end up at Bama? What's the story? 
Well, it's funny. Uh, first of all, it always says Arlington in all my profiles. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's like an autocorrect or whatever. I'm from Sufflake. Um, so, oh, okay. Oh, well, I know. I'm more familiar no, with that. It's, yeah. It's not your fault. It's not your fault at all. Uh, everywhere I go, if I have a speaking engagement or whatever, if someone ever reads my bio, it says Arlington. I'm like, dude, I'm not from Arlington. That's like a pretty long way. Okay. From that's a PSA. Right. Right. So everyone fix yeah. Greg's bios. No, yeah. I don't know. I need to probably, I should probably just take it upon myself. I'm way too lazy to worry about things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm from South Lake. So I had kind of an interesting recruiting story. I only played one year in high school. Um, the guy in front of me was a guy named Chase Daniel, and I was his back. Pretty good. Chase went on to obviously play at Missouri, uh, and my recruitment was pretty delayed. I did have a decent amount of Division One offers going into my first career start, but a lot of people, a lot of the bigger schools, were kind of taking a wait and see approach. Uh, Alabama being one of those, you know, Texas, USC, Tennessee, Michigan, a, a few schools that were on the radar, but they just couldn't commit at that point to saying, yeah, we've never seen you start a high school game. How can we possibly offer you? Uh, which I was totally understanding of. Like, I, I didn't upset me. If I were them, I'd do the same thing. Like, how can we put, I mean, like, you look great in practice and mop up duty, dude. Yeah, here's the scholarship. Like, back then, you got offered based on what you did, you didn't really get offered based on the projection of what you may become. So it, it took a little while for things to get going. I uh, had a few offers kind of in my hip pocket, committed to Texas Tech there early on in the process, because at that point they were throwing it all over the yard uh, and it was a great offense. And, and I looked up to Graham Harrell and, and some of the guys that had that had signed there in the in the years before. So uh, Texas Tech was really where I wanted to go to school, um, at least based on the offense. But when I went down the road of my senior year and we ended up winning state and we ended up playing deep into December, more and more offers started flowing in because more and more guys were committing other places. So for instance, Alabama, using them as an example, Tim Tebow was the only quarterback they were recruiting. Uh, when Tim Tebow decided to commit to Florida, they reassessed, all right, who else is still available? Oh, McElroy's available. He's one of the, one of our top guys will offer him. Uh, and there were probably 15 schools like that. I mean, my offer wow. list, my offer list on December 1st compared to January 1st was night and day different. Um, I was just a lot of, I was just everyone's backup plan, uh, which was fine. Um, decided at that point to kind of assess all the different schools that, that I had, had considered. So I took visits kind of all over the place, took a visit to North Carolina, took a visit to Colorado, uh, took a visit to Ole Miss, took a visit to Bama. Uh, and then of course, Texas Tech, I'd been there unofficially many times. And um, after the visits, I reassessed and, and felt like Alabama was the best place for me. I, it was the right place because if it was, if I had had football completely go away, um, it was where I would have wanted to go to school. Uh, wow. I just, I really enjoyed the campus. I enjoyed the lifestyle and, and I felt like it was a great fit for me. So, uh, honestly, I, I picked Bama because of Bama more so than because of Bama football. Uh, mm. but it, it, it worked out obviously with what transpired in the years to come. <laughs> it definitely did. And, you know, people forget how good Texas tech was in the early two thousands, middle two thousands. Yeah. It was really them in Texas fighting for it out. quarterbacks, especially it was well, that too. Yeah. Like, if you actually, it's funny because I've, you know, in this industry and, and you guys get to do it all the time. You visit with these coaches, man, like on that Texas tech staff that was recruiting me and, and was there in the early two thousands. 
Uh, Sonny Dykes, who's the head coach at TCU, we joke about it. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley picked me up at the airport as a <laughs> 20-year-old graduate assistant or an undergraduate wow. assistant. He picked me up at the airport wow. for my unofficial visit. He was so far down the totem pole. They're like, go get this little, go get this kid that's never started a game. We'll pick him up wow. and bring him to campus. Uh, Dana Holgerson was on that staff. Obviously, Mike Leach was the head coach. Um, you know, Ruffin uh, McNeil, who was the head coach at East Carolina there for a little while. He was on that staff. I mean, it was a who's who of great offensive. Sonny Cumbie was the quarterback on that Texas Tech team there in 2004, 2003. So it, it's wild just how many of those guys that were associated with that program have now gone on to become great coaches, which is, in fact, like really helped my network, except they all give me a hard time about decommitting from them. <laughs> Not going, yeah. <laughs> right. right. When you were visiting Bama, Nick Saban and his his record to that point spoke for itself, winning a national title LSU and his, his NFL experience. Did he sell you on a vision of we're going to be able to build – a great program. He's probably not saying dynasty at that point. Like, did you, did you see the future or did you just think I like Bama? I like Saban. I want to go there. Yeah. Well, I actually, I got there before Saban. Um, so yeah, so I got there, uh, under Mike Shula. Uh, I signed in February of 2006. Saban got there in January of 2007. Okay, because so, your bio says 07, so in my yeah, yeah, mind, I was, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I redshirted 06. It was a throwaway year. I, I spent more time at the frat houses than I did at, you know, <laughs> at, the, at the facility, which I'm not proud of, but, it, you know, you're a redshirt freshman, you're never going to play. It's like, <laughs> I hate, yeah, like, I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, like, I, I signed up for Bama um, right after they had just won the Cotton Bowl, ironically enough, against Texas Tech. Uh, so you started to see progress under Mike Shula. They were coming out of sanctions. Um, and, and it was like, okay, I, th- I think we can win here. And, and I wanted to win, you know, coming from a program like South Lake, uh, I mean, in my four years in high school, the, the varsity football team, I wasn't a part of it all four years, but the varsity football team was 63 and one. And the one loss we had was my sophomore year and we lost by one to Katie. So it was, it was, you know, we, we weren't used to losing and, and I didn't want to go anywhere where I thought we would lose. I thought Bama would offer us a pretty good chance to be successful because they were trending in the right direction uh, after a 10 and two season and a win uh, over Texas tech and the cotton bowl. So uh, that was really intriguing, but no, but no, I, I mean, I thought, I thought we'd have a chance to win, uh, but never in my wildest dreams did I think within three years, four years, we'd win a national championship. I thought we had a chance to compete, but uh, to do that was, I mean, even my wildest dreams, like I said, I I probably would have said, yeah, probably not. <laughs> that's that's incredible, man. And, and I mean, the trajectory, the, the quickness of all that. I mean, you bring up that 2009 national championship. It was a magical year. I mean, what... I know there there's 15 weeks we could talk about, but what what do you remember most about that season and just the climb to greatness? You know, I think what what was beautiful about that season is it was a roster that was comprised of as many three stars as there were, you know, four and five stars. I mean, shoot, there were a lot of guys that were recruited by the Shula uh, regime um, that that weren't superstars. You know, I mean, a, a lot of guys that that went on and, and finished up their final game as, you know, as college athletes and as football players, their final game was there in the Rose Bowl. Uh, a lot of guys that didn't go on uh, to become, you know, an NFL or professional football player. So I, I think that's kind of what was special about that team is we had the right mix of guys that just bought in, that were hungry, that wanted to do better um, than the people that were there before them. Like they wanted to leave Bama in a better place. 
Uh, so we had unbelievable culture. I mean, we just had a great group of guys that just loved each other and we just wanted to win and we would do whatever coach said without pushing back whatsoever. There were no egos. Like it didn't matter. Um, we just had each other's back. And, and I think that's what was kind of unique about that group. And, um, it was, you know, it was one of those seasons where, um, we would just, we picked each other up when we had to pick each other up. Like if for whatever reason, the passing game wasn't going, the running game took off like against South Carolina, we couldn't throw it. Uh, you know, they had an amazing secondary they had a good solid pass rush. And, um, you know, Stefan Gilmore was on that in that secondary and a, a couple other guys that played on Sundays too, that, that went on to be really good players. If we couldn't, we just couldn't really throw it that well that night. Uh, I didn't play very well at all. And Mark ran for two fifty uh, against Auburn. You know, we couldn't run it. I think Mark had 30 yards rushing that so we had to kind of throw our way out of a jam. Uh, and, and we ended up winning that game late uh, with a minute and change left to play. Um, against LSU, there were some good moments both on the ground and, and through the air. But for the most part, it was a really balanced attack. There were other games, too, where the defense didn't play great, even though that was our calling card. And, uh, you know, the offense had to kind of get things going a little bit, not to the extent that they do now. I and mean, we didn't pl- we didn't score 40. That's not really what we did. That's not how we that's not how we devised it. We wanted to shrink the game, play great defense ball control, be smart, et cetera. Uh, so it was a little bit different back then, but I, I think the culmination of that team uh, was probably still the Florida game. At that point, Florida was the, you know, the alpha dog in college football. They had won two of the past three national championships. Uh, everyone was talking about how great Tim Tebow was, how great that Florida team was, that they were killing everybody. And they had beaten everybody so badly throughout the regular season. They were 12 and 0, we were 12 and 0. It was a rematch of the SEC Championship game from the year before. And uh you know, some were saying that that was one of the best, you know, college teams of all time, this Florida team. Uh and if, you know, Tim Tebow was about to cap off maybe the best college football career of anyone in the history of the game. Uh so that was the narrative heading into that game and we had made the whole off season about Florida. Like, hey man, we came up short last year. Let's get over the hump, you know, whatever it takes to get over the hump. Um, even though Florida wasn't on our regular season schedule, the whole season seemed to be about them. Wow. So sure enough, fast forward, we get the chance. We're 12 and 0 and we smoke them. I mean, it wasn't even close. Uh, it was a complete beatdown uh, in every <laughs> sense of the word. And it, I, I honestly, like we took a knee on the five yard line going into the end. We won 32, uh, 32, 13, I be- 32, 13, 32, 14, whatever it ended up being. Uh, and it wasn't even that close. I mean, it was it was a complete beatdown. Uh, but that was the game that the defense played their best, the offense played its best, and the special teams played its best. So we finally, wow. after 13 games, put forth a complete effort uh, and didn't have to pick each other up along the way. So it was really special to be a part of that. And that was kind of the changing of the tide, no pun intended, because it oh, went from... Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not the first one to have used that. Uh, it, it went from Florida being the the uh, the dynasty, the you know, the gold standard in college football to Alabama being the gold standard in college football that night. And it, it hasn't really changed much in the last 12 years because right. of because of that performance. Yeah, man. Wow. That, that, that's incredible. And, and I kind of want to stay here with Alabama for a little bit because of what you just said was so intriguing. I mean, the fact that it, it's crazy for even us to think, and, and we're not that young, but it's crazy to think that Alabama made their season about Florida. Like, that was it. Like, I, that does not happen anymore. When, when you look at Bama, you look at Clemson, probably Georgia, Ohio State, 
it's only about them. But talk about that transition. And you saw it as as a player, and you've seen it as as a former player, as an analyst. Just that transition that Nick Saban has come in here and made this maybe one of the best runs of all time, probably the best run of all time, when you look at the things and the success that he's been able to have. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was – I mean, I don't think – I mean, Coach never talked about the season being about Florida. Like, that was us, you know. That was us in the locker room. Like, it was one of those unspoken things like, uh, hey, dude, um, go be better than Tim today. You know, you go be better than Spikes today. You, know, you go be better than Major Wright today, whoever. You go be better than Joe Hayden today. You, you know, you go be better than Riley Cooper today. Like, it was one of those. But it was never something that the coaches pushed. I mean, if they would have – Knowing that we were talking about Florida in the locker room, they would have not been happy. Um, but we couldn't help it. I mean, that was that was really what it was all about for us, and, and doing the little bit extra to get over the hump because we were let down the year before um, with a subpar fourth quarter performance. So, uh, you know, that was a big part of it. And I don't think any of us could have anticipated. I mean, you, you know, there might be some guys that said that this would continue like this for the better part of a decade and change. Uh, I don't think anyone w- would have anticipated that. It's just so hard to win. It's so hard to win championships, and there are great teams that come up short every year. Uh, so to see Alabama and the consistency in performance is absurd. And uh, I think what is most impressive to me uh, about this run is from the time that Alabama and Nick Saban's first year lost to Louisiana Monroe in week 11 of 2007 season to the time that they lost to Texas A&M in October of 2021. They had not lost to an unranked opponent in that span. And that, that is insane. Uh, so in my tenure, two seasons as a starting quarterback, no losses to an unranked opponent. In AJ McCarron's tenure, three seasons, no losses to an unranked opponent. I mean, you just keep like how many straight years where you never lost to an unranked opponent and how difficult that is to do, especially when you're getting every team's best shot. Um, Granted, some teams can't play well on the same playing field because they just don't have the talent. They just don't. Uh, So, but even though there's probably still three or four teams that are unranked every year that if they play their a game and you play your C game, you can get beat. Uh, We've seen that with Clemson. Mac, I mean, think about what Syracuse was for Clemson for a couple of yeah. years. They were just a, they were a bugaboo, right? Like they just, for whatever reason, they didn't care. And it's, a, I don't care if it's right. Clemson, we're going to throw our best shot and let's <laughs> see what happens. Right. And circumstances dictated that for whatever reason, Clemson just didn't have their stuff that day and they lost it. And they're not the only program. Shoot. There's 15,000 programs. Ohio state won the national championship, lost to an unranked Virginia tech team. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a uh, Ohio. I mean, there's a million examples of teams that have lost to subpar opponents, relatively speaking, that have gone on to do phenomenal things. It's just that's, I think, the most insane part about this run is the consistency in performance and not having a letdown against teams that you would think you would have a letdown against. Um, and and that's that's I don't know if anyone will replicate that with the parity that we're seeing in college football nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, well said, Greg. I mean, as someone who Lived it, helped start it. I think you, you'd be one of the best to discuss it. Okay, I wanna, I'm going to make sure I read this correctly because I want to get all these accolades correct. Right? I have my phone up here. Some people might not know. <laughs> you were a 2010 COSIDA Academic All-American of the Year, first-team Academic All-American, graduated from Bama in three years with a 4-0, a Rhodes Scholarship finalist in 2010. Greg, you're a nerd, man. I, <laughs> I don't think I really realized that you were a nerd. 
Can you please uh, elaborate on this? Yeah, no, I'm a big nerd. Um, <laughs> I, I'm still a little bit mad at Sam Acho, who's our colleague now, because he won the uh, the Campbell Award there in 2010. Right. Oh yeah, um, and Academic that's like, Heisman. Yeah, and I've I've just I've, I don't like him for that. Like that's you know we got the last laugh the year before. Um, him being a Texas, me being Alabama. So like, I got the last laugh on that, but like, he kind of, he kind of was able to rub salt in the wound after that win that he had in 2010. But, um, honestly, it's one of those deals. Like, uh, I, I don't know what y'all's parents were like. Um, my parents were always, Hey man, football is great, but mm-hmm. you know, if you can make a living playing football, that's fantastic. Like that's icing on the cake, but you better work your butt off in any endeavor that you pursue. And, and that was, my mom really pushed us in that way, uh, from school. And look, I, I was fortunate. Like I had the means, you know, I had a lot of teammates that struggled academically, uh, or had a difficult time and I, I, you know, I would help them and they would, they would just still have a difficult time grasping the information. Like I was very fortunate. School came easy to me. Um, I was very, very lucky. I could study. I didn't have a difficult time, uh, you know, staying focused. I didn't have a difficult time compartmentalizing football from school. So I was very, very fortunate and very, very lucky. Um, but I'm one of those people, like, I don't care what we're doing. Uh, if we're going to play horseshoes in the backyard, I want to win. Um, I want, if we're going to play darts, I want to have a perfect score. Uh, if we're going to play bowling, I want to bowl 300, even though I'm more likely to bowl under a hundred than I am 300. <laughs> so I, I, I'm just one of those people. And I'm, I'm sure that you guys are, are like this uh, as well. Like I just want to be the best that I can be. Um, and if that requires an insane amount of work, then, and so be it. Uh, and that's kind of what school was for me is it was actually a release in some ways too. Uh, football was really stressful. I mean, it it was just, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard place to play. Um, you know, you're going to endure some criticism. You're going to endure a lot of great moments too. Football was hard for me and, and foot and school was kind of a release where I could kind of just get away and, and focus on just trying to better myself as a well-rounded human being. And I liked my, my major, I was marketing major. So I, I, I liked the study of brands and how brands became brands. And I just, I enjoyed that. So um, f- football was, was football was my job. Um, but school was kind of my, my hobby. Like I enjoyed it. It, it was something that I really, really liked. Um, so I was lucky in that regard. Cause not a lot of guys are wired that way. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly acknowledge that I'm a little different and, and yes, you hit the nail on the head and in, in talking about being nerdy and they all make fun of me all the time. All my ex teammates say how big of a nerd I am. It's, it's true. I, I can't, I can't deny what I am. Greg, I'm not sure I've ever related to something more than what you just said, because it was so similar for me. I mean, basketball was hard and yeah. school was fun. Like, we're such nerds. I know. I know we're such nerds. But that's it's, awesome. it's like embarrassing to even hear you, hear you say it, because like if that's I what I sounded like saying, it, I'm like, Holly, I'm such a nerd. Like, I can't get nerd. away from it. It's 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 kind of sad, but it I mean, I don't know. I just love school. And like, I love taking like the, some of my favorite classes were like the nerdiest subjects. Like stats 260 is one of it's like one of those weed out classes in business Mm -hmm. school. Like if you can do stats and you have, you know, uh, I mean, anything like deviations and stuff like that. Like it's just 
like I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Like I thought it was like this is so cool. It's like a standard deviation of this. Like I thought it was fascinating. And it's like, oh well, you it just it just had me. I just had such a better understanding of it. And like that's like a weed out class. And I was just enthralled by consuming the <laughs> material. It was so bad. Um, uh, the only one I didn't like was accounting. Like I hated accounting. Mm, yeah. Uh, I just I couldn't do it. I didn't like it. I hated building charts. It was like the one part of business school that I just could not quite grasp and I just didn't quite appreciate accounting. And there was one other one that was called business leadership, which it wasn't an elective course. It was a core course, but gosh, I hated being told how I was supposed to lead. Like, I don't know. I just had major resistance to that class. Uh, those, those were just the classes that I really did not enjoy whatsoever. But yeah, Stats 260 and like all the super nerd courses that I was all about it. We're not all <laughs> dumb that, jocks. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And funny enough, accounting and leadership were the, were the hardest classes. That, that's, that's interesting. Um, but I, I, it makes sense because, you, you know, our brains work a certain way. Um, so you have this great academic background and, and you, you, you could have done anything, honestly, in, in politics or, or business or whatever that might be. And you chose broadcasting. Uh, number one, how did that come about? What, what's your ESPN story? And then number two, is that just something that, you know, you've wanted to do all along? Uh, no, uh, broadcasting, um, it, it kind of came up in a, in a weird spot. And uh, ironically, uh, what led to me having an opportunity to do broadcasting was the success that Auburn had in 2010. Uh, so Auburn is getting ready to go play for the national championship game against Oregon. We had just had an all-time great Iron Bowl game against them in which we came up just a little bit short. Uh, we had a big lead and and blew it in the second half and Auburn came back to win uh, and they went on to beat South Carolina for the SEC championship and then ultimately obviously, you know, punched their ticket to Arizona where they play Oregon. And I was training in, well, I was actually at the academic Heisman uh, in New York um, the, the Campbell award sitting around at the NFF banquet, the national football foundation banquet, and we're sitting around and I'm, I lose the award and I'm ticked off about it. And we're going to a happy hour event soon after the, the gala. And I'm like, so mad. I'm sitting there at the bar. I grab a beer. I'm 21 years old at this point. So those that are like, Oh my gosh, a college guy drinking. Like I was of age uh, and I'm Irish. So like I wanted a beer. I was mad. Um, so I went and got, uh, I, I don't remember what it was, probably a Miller Lite or a Coors Light if I were to ask my 21-year-old self. And those that were also at the bar were Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit. Uh, Lee Fitting and Michael Fountain were also there. Uh, Lee Fitting was at the time the producer of Game Day. Uh, Michael Fountain uh, was in some way connected to game day, but I think he was more sports center or I wasn't sure exactly what his title was, but I of course knew Kirk and I of course knew Fowler from them having covered our team for the last several years. And after a couple beers, you know, we're sitting there and saying, Hey man, you just played a great game against Auburn. Like how about you come to Phoenix and talk about it? Like firsthand perspective of, of what it was like playing against Auburn. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's go. Fine. And Fitting's like, would you really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, I'll be training in California. I can pop over for a day trip and pop right back. It's no problem. Like, I, I want to go to Arizona in January anyways. Let's go. Um, so long story short, 
um, was out there training after we played Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl in my final bowl game on January 1st. Went to California on January 2nd to train. Uh, flew over to to Scottsdale or Phoenix for the day. Did a little hit for him three or four days later. Uh, and it went really well. Um, they were like, you were very prepared. You really enjoyed your, your takes. Really enjoyed everything that you said about Auburn. And, and we think our, our viewers gained something from this. Would this be something that you'd consider you know, coming and doing right now. I said, no, I, you know, I really need to scratch the NFL itch. Uh, I'd always wonder what if, if I didn't at least pursue it. Uh, so after a couple of years and them kind of asking me every year, like, Hey, would this be something you'd consider this year? Like you're on IR, your rookie year, you dislocated your thumb. Like you want to come do it now? I'm like, no, the next year you just got sacked 11 times and you're, you know, in your first NFL start, like, do you want to do it now? I was like, no. Uh, and then after year three, they're like, all right, well, you know, we're about to launch SEC Network. Do you want to be a part of that? I'm like, yeah. Like, I've, I had just torn my PCL. I was under contract at Cincinnati, but, you know, I knew that I could grind out maybe two or three more years, but I'd be better off probably going and pursuing something that hopefully I can do for 30. Uh, so it, it was a difficult decision to leave the game at that point, but uh, I knew I still had a piece of the game with me and going back to the level of football that I aligned with the most. So, uh, made the move, and I, I honestly haven't regretted a second since. I, I thought I'd miss playing. I really did. I thought I'd miss it. But what I what I really would have missed would have been the strategy. I love football strategy. Right. I love football theory. And not having that in my life would be insanely difficult. So I'm there, so grateful to ESPN and uh, grateful to have the platform that we all share to be able to talk about sports and, and life and, and tell the stories of the players that we care so much about. Wow. what What a way to get it. And the fact that it's because of Auburn, Kind of makes it a little sweeter. Like it's kind of interesting. <laughs> that, I, that I mean, uh, I would say I'd rather have won the Iron Bowl. Uh, but sure. if, you know, if we could fast forward, you know, twelve yeah. years and the and the outcome be the same, like I still would rather have won that Iron Bowl and denied Auburn a championship. Sure. That's sure. yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so so you know, I, I hear about the the football strategy. I've heard you know you speak on various things. Is there? football coach is there politics in, in your future is that something that you'd ever entertain or are you riding this thing out until the wheels fall off yeah you know i've had some people approach me i'm sure that people have approached you to like it's i've had guys you know say hey would you would you have an interest in coaching like you know we might have a spot you know it's like yeah i kind of just i really like where i'm at um i have two young sons i have a, I have a wonderful wife who's so supportive uh, you know, we live in a, in a community in Birmingham, Alabama, that I have a lot of very close friends and, and obviously family, my in-laws are, are close. So, uh, we're really happy where we're at. Um, I would never say that I would never say never right about the possibility of getting into something like that, but it would require, um, a pretty significant, you know, lifestyle, a lot of money, yeah, a lot of I money. Mean, it's not even, I, yeah, I mean, but I, 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 playing like, like anything for the money, you know, money's great and all, but like happiness is ultimately what you want. So uh, I sure right now, like the old saying is don't mess with happy and, and we're pretty dang happy and really, we're really blessed. So um, we love what we do and, and we love that, you know, we get to spend as much time together as a family as we do. And I don't know if, you know, going into politics or, or running for Senator or, 
um, you know, pl- you know, playing, going back and playing, or obviously that's that ship sailed. But at one point, that was something we considered, you know, uh, or coaching. You know, that's you know, those things wouldn't fulfill me as much as what I'm doing right now. Um, and the relationship that that we have with our community and the relationship that we've obviously created as a family has has been really, really special. So we ain't messing with happy. We're gonna stick doing what we're doing. That's awesome. Great advice for some people out there as well. Okay, before we ask you a little bit about the ACC, you know, we'll see uh, see what you're thinking here of the Atlantic Coast Conference. I want to go big picture here with college football. Ten years from now, if you had to project, what does this sport look like? And the bigger question is, is Nick Saban still coaching? 2032. Uh, I don't think he'll be coaching in 2032. Okay. Uh, that's just... It, at 81 (laughs) it's i mean anything seems like he's immortal okay (laughs) yeah he does no i there's no denying that but i I would say odds are against him being there 10 years from now it just uh you know if you would ask me 10 years ago in 2012 would he be there 10 years from now i'd probably say no too you know i just just i know how hard he works i know how um i know that I know it would be hard for me to work that hard every single day with hundreds of millions in the bank and, you know, grandkids at home and, (laughs) and knowing that, uh, you know, the lake is a pretty, pretty nice place to be, um, in the fall and knowing how much he loves the lake. I I just think it'd be hard to do, but I also think that he's wired to be a coach and he knows that that's what he's best at. And, um, if he's doing it 10 years from now, it wouldn't shock me, but I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, so we'll start there. Um, as far as where college football is going to be, I would say the better timeline and projections 15 years from now, because at that point, the ACC's television rights deal with ESPN will have been, uh, the exclusive rights will, will be finished. And at that point, that'll be the last of the power five leagues that will have their grant of rights, you know, to come up. Um, I anticipate another couple rounds of realignment. And uh, I think it would be really naive at this point, knowing that in the BCS era from 1998 until 2013, there were 78 teams that changed conferences out of 112. Uh, there were 112 FBS teams in 1998. And in 2013, there were a little bit more than that, but there were 78 teams that were playing under a different umbrella. Well, I think Texas and Oklahoma's move initiated a second round of that. Now, are we going to have 78 more? Probably not. Uh, I think it's highly unlikely, but I wouldn't be shocked if we had 10 or 15 more. And I think there are already teams that are positioning themselves to become attractive if, in fact, the Big Ten were to expand further or if the SEC were to expand further. And I think that we could be, you know, Thing to the inevitable of there being a kind of a power NFL type scheduling model for college football. I just think there's too much money on the table. There's too much opportunity by creating really significant matchups on a week in week out basis. So uh, if I were to guess 15 years from now, college football is going to look pretty unrecognizable to what it's at right now. But uh, I don't think any of the changes are going to be for the worse. I think in in a lot of ways, they'll be for the better. Uh, You just have to be open-minded to the possibility of it looking structurally a lot different. I I agree with you. And I think one thing that is, is very interesting when we think about these changes and, and how, these things are going to happen. And, and how is this going to become more of a 
NFL feeder system than it already is, being that it's the only thing that really exists. And we, we spoke to Herb Street, and, and he said, look, what I think is going to happen is there is going to be this rights deal. There's going to be this very NFL-like in regards to the media agreements where these players are, are getting some of this money, and, and it's a part of it. And I truly think that that can only happen if it turns into this Super League. I, I don't think you do that with 120 schools. I think you do that with 40, maybe. And, and is it a new division? Is it a new just – thing itself where NCAA is not even involved. It's just a whole nother conglomerate of these superpowers. Do you have thoughts in in regards to that? Do you think it's staying under the NCAA umbrella? I know this is a big, super like nerdy thing to talk about, but it's something that I think is approaching very quickly. Matt, Greg's a nerd. We're good. Yeah, He's probably already has a whole diagram. He knows what's going to happen. I I mean, there's, uh, if you want me to, to, I think it's going to be the big 10 and the sec. Uh, I, I think that we're going to look at something like that. It's going to be similar to that of the AFC versus NFC or when the AFL merged with the NFL. Um, I think we could get to something similar to that. Now, does that mean that the ACC is going to fold upon itself? Absolutely not. No, I just think it'll be like a merger of some sorts where they would just combine under one umbrella. Um, I could see already with some of the built-in rivalries, a lot of the schools from the ACC uh, joining up with the SEC schools. And I can also see, too, some of the footprint that the ACC occupies being advantageous to joining the SEC. For instance, I think it'd be really beneficial for the SEC to get into North Carolina, to get into Virginia, uh, to you know to con- continue up north even a little bit further and, you know, who knows, get into Massachusetts and, and Pennsylvania with, with schools like um, Boston College and Pitt uh, and, you know, even New York, perhaps, who knows, uh, of course, with Syracuse and their representation. So I, I really don't know. I, and I think the Big Ten would be advantageous for them to consider some of the West Coast schools. You go get an SC, you go get a, an Oregon, uh, you know, you go get an Arizona State, an Arizona, the Arizona schools, you'll get a Colorado, perhaps, maybe a Utah. Like I could see schools like that maybe leaning towards the Big Ten because, uh, you know, of just the geographic footprint. I mean, it would almost look... Uh, like a yin and the yang, you know, like the SEC would go up north and the right. Big Ten would go west and south. Um, but I don't, that's purely hypothetical. I, I don't know what the right number of teams sure. is. I don't know what, uh, you know, I don't know how that's all going to work out. I just think that we are getting to a point where there's going to be a significant portion of teams left behind that are unable to compete. And then there's going to become a, a decision that's made by some of the powers that be, hey, do we want people to continue to ride our coattails? We just witnessed it with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12. And the Big 12, for all intents and purposes, it certainly seemed like those other eight schools were riding the coattails of Texas and Oklahoma when it came to you know their ability to be competitive in college football. So, And I think that you know, obviously Texas and Oklahoma said, hey, we're done with this. We're, we're leaving y'all. See you guys. Uh, if that's an indicator of what might come, then I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are other schools that do the exact same thing. It would make a lot of sense. Right. So uh, I don't like that, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't love the idea of it. Um, I personally like 
the discussion that exists right now when it comes to the conference supremacy argument. I think that's really like no one cares. Oh, what's better, the AFC or the NFC in the NFL? No one cares. You know, (laughs) (laughs) like it doesn't matter. But right now, there's a legitimate (laughs) argument to be had. Hey, the ACC in a given year is better than the SEC or the Pac 12 or whatever. Like, I like the conference supremacy debate. And I think that's something that we have that the NFL doesn't have. So, abandoning it completely would, would be a little concerning to me. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't even really thought about that. And it's something that just. It's another thing that fans can grab onto and and just latch on and say, outside of our school, our team, it's also this conference. And, you know, we we all know people love to beat that drum when they can. So regional pride, too. I mean, regional pride, too. Exactly. And I know. Exactly. And maybe that doesn't exist everywhere, but here in the South, people care about being from the South. (laughs) I know. Well, and by the way, my friends in California are pretty dang proud of being Californians. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and right. and like my Midwest. buddies, yeah, my buddies, my buddies from Ohio and and Iowa, and you know, hey, we're good old Midwest boys. Like they love that, and yeah. I have buddies that yeah. are from you know uh, Rochester, New York, that take pride in being called a Yankee. Like they love it, mm-hmm. like, you know. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think there's some regional pride that could be kind of kind of thrown out with the bathwater, but. I also think, too, if we're in search of trying to create the most competitive schedule that we can possibly create and create a, a, a brand on television versus another great brand on television, matching up in a unique, intense environment that transcends the monitor that you're watching it on, and you can feel like you're in the action. Um, you know, I think that's also beneficial, too. So uh, I think there are huge negatives to what's possibly coming, but I also think there's huge upside as well. Yeah, can't wait, man. And, and I think it, you know, fast approaching. If it's a decade, if it's a decade and a half, it's uh, it's going to be very different, you know, for our kids and then the things that they're going to see. All right, let's let's move to the ACC a little bit more in detail. We've got a couple of rapid fire here for you, where I just want to hear your thoughts. We can discuss, and and then we'll we'll get you out of here. Um, the ACC is going to be the conference of quarterbacks again. I mean, it's just loaded from head to toe. All fourteen schools. Uh, really, in the Atlantic Division, uh, particularly, everybody starting is coming back. Uh, who's your favorite quarterback in the ACC? Uh, well, I think we can go off a couple things. One, uh, who's my favorite based on what he's done, and who's my pre- favorite based on what he could be? Uh, my favorite quarterback is Sam Hartman. I, I know that um, a lot of people will look at the performance against Clemson in particular and say, well, look what he did against great teams. Look what he does against quality competition. Is that on him? You know, <laughs> Last I checked, that offensive line for Wake Forest didn't look great against Clemson at any point. So I, but I like his, I like his feel. I think he's a gamer. He's got some moxie qualities that are just unteachable uh, and uncoachable. So I'm a huge believer in what he could do this year. I do have concerns about what happens if he faces an NC State or a Clemson, someone in the Atlantic that can really get after you and create pressure up front. Uh, the guy that I think is the sky's the limit, and it's probably not going to be a super popular name is Malik Cunningham. Um, if you watch him last year, he missed a lot of throws. You know, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of an example in which, um, I mean, he looked really, really good at times. He was playing on Thursday night. I don't recall who it was against. Um, I think it was against Duke or, or someone like that. And he probably left two or three touchdowns on the table. Um, just on deep posts that he overthrow or, or just missed just ever so slightly, man. And he's, he's, 
he definitely has the athletic ability to be a complete dynamic game changer. The guy is an unbelievable athlete. But if he can just become just a little bit more consistent with how he delivers the football, there's no telling what he could become. So the others are obvious. You know, the you know, the Devin Learys, the others uh, in the league are obvious. I don't think I'm fooling anybody by saying that Phil Jerkovic is going to be a, a successful NFL player one day or Brennan Armstrong at Virginia is going to have a great year. I think those things are obvious, but I want to look just a little bit deeper, like who's got it in them that could bring it out to the forefront this year. And the guy that I'm staring at is Malik Cunningham. That's good, Greg. I, I'm with you on that. He has a, a skill set that really no other quarterback in the league has. Maybe you look at a Jeff Sims, but Malik Cunningham is, is more proven in that regard. So I'm excited to see what he can do another year in that system. Okay, what about, let, let's pick some winners here, Okay. I know it's hard, transfer portal, everything. It's only at the end of June. But right now, if you had to pick, give me who's going to win the Coastal. This is the last year of divisions, by the way. Coastal, <laughs> Atlantic, and the ACC title. Who you got? Yeah, well, I think it's it's a pretty tough league to predict, to be honest with you. I, the Coastal I think it's, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's as good and as deep as it's been in a while. Um it was always, all right, Clemson, and then who are they going to face, right? It, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the case anymore. I think you can make a fairly strong argument that three different teams could win the Atlantic. I think Clemson's the team to beat. I just don't see enough along the offensive lines for Wake Forest and NC State to be able to hold off Miles Murphy and Brian Brzee and Tyler Davis and Xavier Thomas and those guys. Man, that's just... Those are neutralizers. And if you can have elite <laughs> defensive line play, and they kind of found an identity down the stretch last year, like, hey, we want to run the football. Clemson was, of course, totally beat up, so they were unrecognizable there at the end. But if they could just keep a clean bill of health, they have an elite running back. If they could take enough off of DJ to where he's not going to have to completely carry them like they thought he was going to early in the season. I just like the makeup. And give me a chance with Clemson with a chip on their shoulder to go make some noise. So uh, I really like Clemson this year. I think they bounce back. Um, will they make the playoff TBD? I think that depends on other places. Uh, depends on a place like Utah. Depends on a place like Oregon. Uh, depends on what's going on with Georgia and Alabama. Do they both get in? Does one get in? Uh, and of course, does Ohio State have any co- true contenders in the Big Ten right now? Right. So uh, I like Clemson a lot this year. Um but in the coastal, it's completely wide open, and I like North Carolina. And a lot of really? people are, yeah, a lot of people are going to say, "Well, they don't bring anybody back; they lose a lot offensively." I people were just a year too early on North Carolina last year, and kind of forecasting, "Hey, this is the year they're going to do it." And they went into the season with expectations that were dashed in the first half of the first. Well, take it back, the first quarter of the first game, right. you know, and they just never really recovered from that and they were up and down throughout the course of the season the game at Georgia Tech was inexcusable in some ways but there were some positives at times that made you feel like all right hey this team's got a little something going the game at Pitt would be the best example they lost that game in overtime but part of the reason why they lost is because it was a complete monsoon when they took the field in in overtime i mean Pitt and Kenny Pickett had a perfect weather there in the first right. overtime, well, the second <laughs> overtime, it was like the sky opened up. It was a little and, Bill Belichick Foxborough thing, like the fog yeah. comes in when the other yeah. team's on offense. Yeah. No, it was something. I, I've never <laughs> seen anything quite like it. But, you know, I look at what they have, and a lot of people will say, well, what do they have going on at quarterback? Well, watching the spring game, I don't want to put a ton of stock into the spring game. I, I know that. Let's not get carried away. But I think they got more than enough to be able to win with. 
Uh, if you look at what both those guys did in the spring, and I, I don't know who it's going to ultimately end up being. I really don't. Uh, whether it's you know Drake May or Jacoby Criswell, either one uh, I thought looked really solid. And Phil Longo's their offense. They're going to create opportunities down the field, so I think they're going to have plenty of weapons on the outside. And the offensive line might be the best thing for them to have a lot of turnover because that group last year really underachieved. They didn't play anywhere near like what they were supposed to, uh, and I think it's good to you know, have some new faces and some fresh competition and in some of those spots. And then defensively, you bring in Gene Chizik, man. Yeah. And, and if you look at what happened the last time Gene Chizik took over there, uh, that would be 2015. They were one win away from going to the college football playoff. So, you know, I'm not saying that he's one a miracle. One kick, one yeah. argue. <laughs> right. I'm not saying he's a miracle worker, but he's dang close. Uh, right. So he's going to simplify things defensively. He's going to allow those guys to play fast. They're not going to do a ton of different things, but what they do, they'll do well. And and I think they'll just kill you with execution. So uh, I'm a big believer of his addition, and, and he's part of the reason why I think North Carolina is going to surprise some folks this year coming off of a down year last year. How about that? Come on, man. All right, so okay. we've got a repeat of 2015. Clemson, UNC, who's pulling it out? I like Clemson. Um, you know, I just think Clemson, until proven otherwise, I'm not convinced that North Carolina's taken the necessary strides in the trenches to be able to neutralize that front. Yeah. Uh, this front's going to be really good. I mean, if they could stay healthy, you can make a case that it's probably the best in the country. Right. Um and they're they're going to be a handful for just about everybody. Now Georgia might have something to say about that. Uh, you know Alabama with Will Anderson. If you want to consider him a part of the front, you know they might have something <laughs> to say about that. You know Ohio State's always going to have one or two guys that we never heard of before that are going to come out of thin air and become an all all American. Um, you know who knows who else is going to have big time difference makers up front, but. You know, I, I think that Clemson's, you know, based on what we know, is in a great position to have the best defensive line group in America. So uh, I think it's it's going to be hard to beat them, uh, but I do think they could beat themselves. And and if DJ Uyunglele, uh plays less than stellar football, um, they'll probably have a short leash, and Kate Klubnick will get an opportunity in there. He, of course, played at Texas high school football at Austin Westlake, so... You know, no stranger to the bright lights and the big stage at the high school level. So uh, we'll be interesting to watch Clemson this year. I think they're one of the most fascinating teams in college football this year. Um, and it's anybody's guess uh, on what could happen, uh, knowing kind of what they bring back and just how much more healthy they're going to be. We're close. We're close, guys. I can't wait. Football season right here. Greg, thank you for joining us, man. This was so much fun hearing a little your, your story and, of course, your analysis. Always spot on, brother. Really appreciate you joining us. No, I appreciate you guys having me, man. Y'all be good and enjoy the rest of the summer. Thanks again to Greg McElroy. We really enjoyed talking with him. I think he's one of the smartest minds covering college football. We know he's a nerd, so that makes sense. Uh, but he just he's going to tell you what he thinks, and most of the time he's going to be right, especially with his Big Ten predictions <laughs> and things like that. So check out Always College Football. Follow our guy Greg, and we really appreciate his time, Mac. That's it from us, guys. Another great episode. Graham Lake and Mac Lane. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Go get SiriusXM. Download the app. Go over to YouTube. Go over to iTunes. Subscribe, like, love. Get into the channel, guys. you got to check it out. A lot of fun things going on. Uh, but that's it from us. Until next time, we'll see you all.